Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to the rest of you. Welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. I'm your host, Q, coming to you yet again from my mother's basement, and I'm joined by my co-host, B. How goes it, B? It goes fantastically, as always. And yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. Let's dive in. We got a jam-packed episode today in store. We're going to kick things off with our BM Pro segment, and we are joined by special guests from ARK Invest. And then after that, we'll be having an interview with Seed Signer. And then, of course, news and notes with your favorite trio. But let's kick things off with the BM Pro team. Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule have joined us. And we have none other than David Puel, head of on-chain research at ARK Invest, and Frank Downing, handling crypto on-chain analysis as well. Gentlemen, how are we all doing today? It's great. Keep sending the chat. It's certainly a lot of stuff has gone down the last two months. So, you know, our job as, as analysts, kind of detectives of, of what's happening has been exciting to say the least while, you know, half the industry has imploded, but uh, not something we can control, but yeah, excited to break it down with these guys. Well, let's kick things off there because there was very big news this morning that Dylan, I think you've been at the forefront of covering yet another company getting caught up in this contagion. And this time it's Voyager now filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy. I open the floor to anyone to just maybe touch on what led to this point and what the fallouts may look like going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to kick it off, but it's great to be here. I, we've been watching this space over at ARC for you know some time as the events have unfolded over the past two months, kind of leading up to this point. And it's kind of all a series of dominoes that have kind of fell one after another, starting with the collapse of Terra back in, back in the beginning of May. It's something that we were watching really closely, kind of this algo stablecoin concept that proved to totally fail and unwound like $60 billion of market cap over just a few days. That was, seemed like it was relatively isolated at the time in that, you know, 70% of that USD stablecoin was just in the anchor lending protocol, you know, this false pretense of 20% stable yield. So it was a coin that really just existed to yield farm. But what we kind of soon learned is there are other, you know, notable parties in the crypto space that were kind of tangled up in that giant yield scheme, namely Celsius and Three Arrows Capital. Celsius exposure through liquid state ETH they were using as collateral on the platform and Three Arrows as investors in Terra and, you know, notable party who came to their defense as the peg was unwinding. Those two parties also had been brought to their knees. You saw Celsius pause withdrawals, and most of that because their DeFi holdings were public on chain and we could see exactly how much liquid ETH and wrapped Bitcoin they had and how much was borrowed against it. Uh, and Three Arrows being a party that had, had tried to defend Terra, we learned had borrowed from pretty much everybody under the sun, in some cases collateralized borrowing from BlockFi or Genesis where their positions were liquidated. In other cases, because of their reputation and name brand in the space, borrowed uncollateralized from parties like Voyager, 650 million uncollateralized loan that now that these trades have gone against them, they're, they're going bankrupt and so is Voyager along with them. It seems like it's a never ending contagion spiral. We've seen so many of these companies and I know Dylan, you've spent a lot of time and, and last week you and Sam released the uh, monthly report highlighting a lot of this contagion and actually specifically we're talking about Voyager possibly be being the next domino to fall. Sorry, man, the long weekend really got to me guys. How, how are you guys feeling about this bankruptcy? A little bit validating I'm sure, but also is this a cause for maybe some more concern? I'm going to throw out some price action thoughts here for a second. Do you expect some more downside as the result of something like this? From the Voyager event, not really. It was obvious to me once once we started to see this this contagion really take take hold in mid-June, I started going through and, and not many of these entities are public. Like Celsius doesn't publish, you know, their their balance sheet or income statements or anything. But of the few that did, Voyager was was one of them. And it was <laughs> You could see that they actually had $350 million of exposure to a Singapore-based entity. So it was like speculation, but to me, that's, I kind of have a, an ongoing thread where I just post some, some updates to all this craziness, but it was, you know, Hey, three arrows, capitals insolvent. And if these guys are on the hook for 350 million at the same time that their shares are down 33% in two days, maybe something under the surface is wrong and not sure about the you know exact numbers of their balance sheet right, right now off the top of my head. But basically all of their customers' assets, like they didn't have, it was like a fractional reserve bank that took a huge impairment loss. Like they didn't, they didn't actually have any equity capital to cushion uh, the massive default that they got, that they took on an unsecured loan. Like that's the craziest part about it is they were, 
they were lending customer funds out unsecured to hedge funds that they thought were industry titans and, and were money good plus an interest rate. And the reality was they weren't money good and they completely rugged Voyager. And, and really the sad thing is Voyager's customers' deposits. Any equity cushion that Voyager had or had grown over the bull market completely evaporated in an instant. And so that's why when SBF came out and was like, hey, like, you know, we're extending a credit line. It was just like, okay, this seems like a, a nothing burger because what, what is the point of lending to an insolvent business? If the business is insolvent, there's no way that they can lend. And, and once, you know, Voyager opens up deposits, all the money's going to run. So that was just like, for me, I mean, not just trying to pick on Voyager here. It's obviously a lot of companies are tangled in this mess, but yeah, I mean, a huge loss that's just, it's irrecoverable. And it's really sad that a lot of people are going to lose, lose their assets. It's why I've been, you know, very outspoken about it. I'm not trying to hurt any business or any person, but you know, that's just the reality of these type of things. Just a gentle reminder before I, I let the rest of our panelists discuss, but nothing discussed here should be viewed as or considered financial advice. Everyone must do their own due diligence. If you're listening to a bunch of people talking heads online and make financial decisions off of that, sir, madam, you are absolutely batshit crazy. I do want to ask David, what with all of this contagion that you've, we've all been seeing around the markets, how is this? sort of transpiring or being reflected on the on-chain analysis that you're seeing? Are there any metrics in particular that you're paying closer attention to now, especially in the midst of this bear market? Yeah. So of course we got capitulation. In terms of on-chain, you, you, you can review several metrics on a historical basis, famous examples of that, MVRV, percentage supply and profit, stuff like that. They are getting to historical levels of absolute capitulation to give you context, historically the percentage supply and profit of Bitcoin should be about 45% at loss. We hit 50% or so. So, but still we, we are below realized gap and the, the very reliable so far 200 week moving average that has happened only like four times, I believe in the history of Bitcoin for the third time we penetrated realized gap and every single major cost basis, long-term holders, short-term holders in the market within that, this suggests that it could imply an accumulation range, let's say between 16, 20, something like that. But in terms of precision, especially given the uncertainty of the contagion in the crypto markets, that is, you know, you're seeing smaller and smaller entities collapse, which is a good sign. And, but you know, most worrisome could be the, um, the macro uncertainty, especially as Bitcoin has picked up in its correlations since COVID with equities and the broad market. So we're keeping an eye on that in terms of accuracy, historically it, the, the zone being under the, the cost base of the market, it has been historically a, a good accumulation area, but given the market uncertainty, we're keeping an eye on that and balancing those two, you know, confronting views at the moment. So David, you have not been subject to my favorite question, Sam and Dylan, I can already hear you snickering over this, but what are your thoughts on just the general correlation we saw leading into the correlation with the NASDAQ and Bitcoin price leading into this downturn? And do you expect this correlation to have broken at any point in this near term or short term? That's actually a, a great question in the sense that we, we, we believe there's a major dislocation in the market in terms of pricing things in general. To, to give you the context of an arc, right? We we hold from genomics to Bitcoin, seeing that that diverges, like why should a, a price of a biotech company should be correlated with Bitcoin at any given time, given their completely different value propositions. So that, that, that correlation in the broader markets, let alone Bitcoin just signifies to us a major disequilibrium in the market and, and inefficiencies in pricing and valuing things on, on the context on when the decoupling could be expected, that's hard to do because one, since COVID, we've had a major inflow of institutional participants, which, and, and those participants have taken lead in, in the price discovery on centralized exchanges, etc. for Bitcoin and therefore in a correlative manner that the whole crypto ecosystem. So within that regime. It's hard to, to, hard to guess when the correlation is going to stop because it, it has unfolded both in a, in a bullish primary trend and a bearish primary trend. Regardless of that, 
I, I do think a, a best way to look at Bitcoin is a, a debasement hedge as opposed to an inflationary hedge, which I think it's part of the narrative. James from, from Glassnode does this privately with me and, and I tend to agree with that. I think once the market, you, you know, stops valuing assets as on a per market cap or liquidity or float basis and, and return to a, a fundamental appreciation of things. We should see a, a decorrelation with between Bitcoin and equities and, you know, through the diversification in the equities ecosystem as well. I, I love that. Very hopeful and optimistic. And we will see as time plays out, if this decoupling does take effect, Sam, I would love to just like give you the opportunity now to share your general thoughts. We've talked a lot of things and I will let you sort of discuss any of the points that we've discussed that resonated well with you. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I'll bounce around a little bit here. So I'd be curious to see what other people found through like the contagion we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Curious like what people have found kind of the most shocking or most interesting part of it that they didn't know before on the Voyager side of things. I don't need to index on Voyager, but it seems like it's just kind of company topic of the day. Um, for them, it's just kind of the massive amount of unsecured lending that was in the system. Um, not just across Voyager, but across everywhere else where, as we've seen that now they're going through bankruptcy, BlockFi seems like one of the lending shops that might survive here with the injection from FTX and that's, and they even had a loan to value ratio, three hours capital and like 75%. So pretty shocking just to see the amount of unsecured lending rolling out here. You know, general thoughts is that of those forceless liquidations, those are probably the worst that happened going down to. 17,000 range. It's interesting that the CME futures on that weekend as well didn't even really in kind of the other side of the market to, to reflect that, which also would tell me another signal with on-chain kind of capitulation indicators that probably have further to go there as maybe some of that that drawdown pains not realizing in the full extent of the market. But I, I'd be curious to hear, you know, everyone else's thoughts too on on if they think kind of the, the worst is over here from the contagion side. I mean, I can say from the macro side, uh, Dylan and I talked at length about being, you know, pretty in pretty bearish since in the last few months. And then doing some of these spaces and being bearish sometimes is not fun. But almost see that Bitcoin, whether you look at it from an equities correlation standpoint or just from an economic cycle standpoint, it all becomes one. Certainly, the value gets removed from its fundamentals. So right now, when you know some of the stuff looking at is you know kind of the latest trends in in PMI data and kind of leading index for that, looking at some of the bear, mi bear market kind of cycle rallies, comparisons of where equities are, looking at kind of earnings and PE ratios, kind of turning over in the traditional space. Um, so it's hard to tell, you know, what that liquidation move with Bitcoin, you know, that's kind of like a 15% move for, for 20,000 where kind of CME futures didn't move at all. And you have equities at large, you can take the S&P down 22% for now. And thinking that, okay, you know, my, my more base case is that those have more 30 to 40% range to go, kind of peak to drop, drawn up peak. So thinking that and thinking that, you know, Bitcoin is probably going to hold up those relationships over time. You know, I'm, I'm still pretty bearish overall in the market. I'm still pretty bearish in the sense that we haven't seen the full extent with kind of like the liquidity and the insolvency issues that are going to float on the service, probably seeing the majority of them. Um, but I mean, just now we're seeing Voyager go through bankruptcy. So it's almost like every day we're seeing a, a new company or a new shop kind of announce something that just doesn't bode well from the space. So it seems like we've got more funding to do on that front. Just to chime in on the contagion and what's kind of surprised us, I would say, you know, like Celsius having to pause withdrawals wasn't a surprise, partially because we could see all of their balances on chain. And I think on chain in general is something that's given us a lot of confidence and conviction as we've did dove deeper into the space over the past few years. What what surprised us was the the leverage buildup off chain that you that you can't see that uncollateralized lending three euros capital in particular was a surprise. And, and I think, you know, some of those details about, you know, how they were managing funds, for example, they would manage the treasuries of portfolio companies that they invested in. So they write a say a, a $10 million check and that to a, to a new protocol and that protocol turns around and gives them that $10 million back to manage while they're not using it. 
And so if, you know, three arrows goes insolvent with that fund, now you have a protocol that's lost a part of their treasury. And that was kind of this hidden management that they were doing that we couldn't see. And those are kind of the, the more scarier things. What, what's happening off chain in this kind of centralized market that you can't see and don't have transparency into. And then on just kind of, you know, Bitcoin versus equities and where the market could bottom. I think one thing that gives us, well, it's, you know, it's impossible to say whether we've really hit a bottom or not. And I think given the macro headwinds, it's safe to say that there's probably more to go. Given that, you know, the crypto market cap's already down 70% from all-time highs, it's possible that, well, if the, you know, we're heading into recession and the broader market definitely sells down more, I don't think crypto is going to be immune to that. Uh, it may bottom quicker. And if it bottoms quicker, then it may lead the, the rally on the other side. We've seen, you know, with with the correlation the, with Bitcoin in the markets, we've seen sort of this forward trading aspect of Bitcoin. I myself have taken full advantage of this, but we have never seen Bitcoin trade or alive, quite frankly, in a macro environment that saw a recession. We are weeks away from what I believe will be the second quarter of a negative GDP reading, which will trigger a technical recession in the broader markets. What impact does this have on Bitcoin in particular as the larger economy has to deal with a recession? Dylan, I'll start with you and then David. Yeah, I, I think that we are, and since basically the early, early Q1, some, some really, really smart macro investors figured it out in November when Powell, when inflation continued to accelerate and, and, you know, bond yields were still less than 1%. And some of the guys just started to short everything, realizing that a deleveraging event was necessary. And the biggest money that you can make in financial markets, at least in the current paradigm is off of central bank policy error. And it was pretty, it was pretty clear to those investors and increasingly clear to, to us and Q1 that policy error was made in the, in the, by the effect of far too much liquidity that began to, because of structural issues in say commodity markets and energy markets began to spill over into the real economy with CPI inflation and, and the two kind of decade, uh, trend of disinflation, low CPI was, was reversing in a, in a big, big way. So they started to, to raise rates, but it's not, not just the fed raising rates. It was the treasury market started to do it for the fed and, and yields started to soar. And, and it, it became clear to us that, you know, a liquidity or deleveraging event was starting to, to, to be in the works. And so structurally, are this, the, the global system can't sustain periods of high interest rates with, with the current paradigm. It'll ultimately collapse. That's, that's just the reality of our, our massive debt burdens at a fiscal level, at a federal level, at a global level. And especially emerging market currencies will collapse as the dollar continues to bid. And there's so much dollar denominated debt out there. But I think in a Bitcoin specific sense, despite all of the, the deleveraging, despite all of the contagion, some pretty decent minor capitulation, I expect more, but you know, like public, the third biggest public miner in the U S sells 80% of their stack. Like that's significant. I just don't think we've had that correlation to one kind of, you know, nasty leveraging that would, that would basically convince the fed to, to come in and actually pivot. And, and it's like, okay, not all analysis is based on the fed, but we're in this dollar system where it's almost everything is one trade and, and it's, it sounds too overcomplicated, but this is basically it. It's everything's either short volatility or long volatility and being long volatility has a huge asymmetric payoff because most every asset on the planet's short volatility, short volatility is just, you know, your, your long credit expansion in the fiat system. And so I just, I kind of believe that we're, we're still with an economic, global economic slowdown with commodity prices, which have come down, but are still, are still very high. And just uh, the world economy kind of just being put into a tailspin, real, real economic productivity is, is not down. Nominal is, a uh, nominal is, is up rather, I'm sorry, twisted those words around. I still think we just need that, need that final flush out, which we've seen Bitcoin get pummeled, but it's, it's, you know, Bitcoin is essentially a short dollar, right? And, and the dollar is strengthening with with intensity now. And so that's why I kind of, you know, hold off and saying this is the, the generational bottom, even though from every metric we look at, Bitcoin is, is extremely undervalued and is, you know, below cost basis, all this stuff. It's a great buying opportunity. It just might get a lot better because we're see, seeing these macro conditions just continue to deteriorate. So that was my long winded answer. Sorry for not being concise. <laughs> Never apologize when you're sharing 
your thoughts with everyone, Dylan, please. David, I present the same question to you. What effect does a broader recession in the broader economy have on Bitcoin? Very much in line with, with Dylan. That's, if you look at a broader analysis of Bitcoin as a whole, take the on-chain factors, the unwinding of the crypto contagion correlations to crypto only, the most worrisome part is still the macro environment. If you counterparts to that, like we have major signs of, you know, the Hawkins Fed, their dot plot projections are also, you know, in the, um, in the 3.8%, sorry, in the 38 basis points, stuff like that. On top of that, we are seeing a huge increase in credit default swaps. So as per CDX, that rose, I think twice in September, also a worrisome factor, the yield curve flat, all that. Conversely, looking at gold as a leading indicator of sustained inflation and copper on top of that as a lead on gold, we haven't noticed, well, gold has been flat for about two years. Copper just taking a downturn in the commodities market. So that gives a, a little bit of pause in this whole context of, of how, yes, the recession is coming, but you should look for peak inflation in my view, in terms of defining a, a macro bottom, which includes equities and, and Bitcoin. Historically, equities bottom a month prior to peak inflation. So we're keeping an eye for that. There's a few signs, although inflation is of course not, not uh, transitory. There's a few signs of how the, you know, now hawkish Fed and, and, and its rising rates may affect a lowering of, of the macro environment in terms of inflation. So we're looking for that in terms of our recovery, but still uh, very much wary of the macro environment. David, you brought up something that Dylan, you actually sent a tweet out earlier today. Chris, if you could pull that up, just showing that the credit default swaps for Credit Suisse are reaching levels that we haven't seen since the great financial crisis. Can you walk us through just what does this actually mean? Like, what are these credit swaps? Why do people need to care or be concerned about the, this price movement? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a bank analyst. I don't have a Bloomberg terminal. I saw it on Twitter and credited Lawrence Lepard with the chart. So I don't I don't look at bank credit default swaps to to trade Bitcoin. But I think it's more so just, just telling about the direction everything is going. More counterparty risk, more contagion, not just in, in crypto markets, but in general, more debt defaults. Like like people need to understand that that fiat money is created through through lending. It's destroyed through debt defaults. So, you know, what's happening with the crypto exchange rates, like money, you know, dollar denominated promises, IOUs, assets that people thought they had on their balance sheets weren't assets when other counterparties defaulted. That's kind of the story of the great financial crisis. And that's the story of, of just like kind of recessions in general. It's, it's a period of, of credit, you know, it's a deceleration at first, it's a deceleration of credit expansion, which, you know, if it worsens enough and there's too much that, that much debt out there and, and, and enough defaults, it turns into not a deceleration of credit expansion, but a credit contraction. And that's when, when asset values fall and that's when volatility increases and liquidity decreases. So, yeah, I mean, I think just that if you look at a lot of the bank CDSs, they're, they're going up to pre, they're going up to COVID 2020 highs. And, you know, that's just not a, not a healthy sign. It's, it's just, you know, there's, there's trouble under the surface. What is up my Bitcoin plebs? Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor BitMEX. If you've been in the Bitcoin space for longer than a week, then you probably already know BitMEX as the OG crypto derivatives exchange and one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade. But what you might not know is that BitMEX is launching a brand new spot exchange on the 17th of May to easily buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. To celebrate, they're giving away $1 million in crypto to spot traders over the next few months, and they want you to be a part of it. The Bitcoin Magazine crew had the privilege of meeting their team a few months back, and they think that this is the start of something special for BitMEX and their users. Sign up at BitMEX.com today to catch a slice of the $1 million in crypto giveaway. And stay tuned to our podcast for future product offerings from their team. Again, don't miss out on the giveaway. Free sats are the best sats. So sign up today at bitmex.com. You know, we talk a lot about volatility. Dylan, you have brought up the importance of the VIX throughout our numerous conversations. One thing that I did read over the weekend from 
the only thing that I read over the weekend was just the fact that the VIX actually is, while trading higher, still hasn't reached anywhere close to levels we saw during COVID or even during the great financial crisis. In your opinion, does this imply more volatility, which could very well be upside or downside? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm not a, not an options trader for equity markets. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not actively tr trading all this, but I think it's a really, really just important signal for investors to understand risk on, risk off, what a high VIX means, what it means for, for options pricing, what it means for just like, not, not even just sentiment, but just like kind of the overall market liquidity. Um, so I think it's VIX certainly goes higher, you know, whether it goes lower in the intermediate term is, is, is another story, but I'm, I'm looking at move, which is the credit market equivalent to, to the VIX us, uh, bond market volatility and that since early spring has just been through the roof so you know the most liquid markets in the world are are trading like it's you know the covid 2020 pandemic crash it's there's there's some trouble and i think you know that's that's probably indicating where the vix is, is probably going in the next six to nine months until some sort of reaction function from the from the federal reserve and that's and that's higher Frank, Sam, I want to give each of you the opportunity to also share and discuss just what we've been talking about here regarding the, in my opinion, impending recession coin and just the general volatility in the markets. Frank, we can start with you. Yeah, I mean, this is this is something we we talk about all the time. We were just talking about this today. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy to see, you know, managers that are looking at their portfolio. It's not just crypto that's down anymore, right? Their their bond portfolio <laughs> is now bleeding, uh, which which is pretty crazy. And we're we're talking about markets that are much bigger than the crypto markets. If you look at housing, which which does not look like there's any any good signs ahead or the auto market, for example, this is trillions of dollars of paper out there that all looks to be potentially in trouble. And so from the from the macro perspective, I think increasing volatility should probably be expected. Yeah, I would I would just add to that, you know, I think it's all been about when I'm looking for like a Bitcoin bottom kind of in the cycle, you can look at a lot of the on-chain cyclical indicators. You can buy, look at a lot of price and reversion tools and say, okay, we have these huge value Bitcoin's way out for fundamentals here. Is it a good time to allocate? Which might be a good question in terms of what David and Brian think of like allocating now versus, versus allocating over the long term, uh, kind of accumulating when, when you see these kind of fund fundamental value shifts, but also that the legacy market hasn't really necessarily put in a bottom. Um, Dylan and I have been talking about it for a while to see something like credit spreads slow out. So obviously CDS is one way to look at that, just credit spreads and like high yield corporate debt, which is probably the most likely at risk in, in the Western world or emerging markets relative to maybe like 10 year treasury rate is also a good way to look at, at those blowing out, which they haven't yet, but it's been rising and accelerating. Um, if you look at like the Goldman financial kind of tightening index or index overall for financial conditions. And essentially says like the, the whole system right now, although we've seen these massive moves and financial conditions are still relatively pretty loose, kind of indicating that and we can go a little bit further, but that rate of change in those rates, I think we've yet to see a lot of those problems play out, maybe on the earnings side of things for businesses as, as we're starting to, to uh, have a much higher cost of capital out there as well. So, you know, for, for me, there's just a lot more on the, the bear side of things to point to that, you know, we're just in the beginning innings of this starting to turn over the, the next six months. And, and to David's point, you know, one of the indications of like, when we say, okay, when is really Bitcoin going to be that kind of turnaround asset again, or have that like high end flow of demand? It really comes down to maybe the the best narrative that it's facing, and then you know you're looking at what is the period of kind of monetary and fiscal stimulus that's got to come back into the market that's kind of needed to to kind of rescue the system, the system, um, the loaded debt system that we've talked about over year. So I think that's really maybe more of the pivotal pivot turning point in the short term, whether that's six months from now, you know, six months to a year, maybe that, that gets accelerated. But that's in that's in my mind, maybe what I'm looking for first, like an equities capitulation bottom in the macro environment, something today, kind of a deeper session playing out. And then um, you know, more of a turning point where there's no other solution other than to increase monetary and fiscal policy. 
Yeah, and I think just from the the timing perspective, I mean, if you look at just a case study of one on-chain indicator, MVRV crossed below one on June 13th when Celsius paused withdrawals. And historically outside of COVID, which was, you know, obvious of the extreme, you know, V-shaped recovery, MVRV crossing back above one has been a five to, to 10 month long process. And so, it, you know, you can't look at one indicator and call the bottom, probably more likely a place you could dollar cost average, but not a place you'd want to kind of go all in on, given that there's commonly more pain ahead before it ultimately reclaims one. All right. I'm going to ask a question that I know everyone on this panel hates to be asked, and I will preface and tee it up saying, if you actually knew the answer to this question, none of you would be here. You would own your own island. And have some sort of a crystal ball. So yes, I know that you don't know the answer to this question. Just entertain me for a moment, please. In your opinion, what would be the type of event that was going to cause the Fed to switch its stance? Dylan, we'll start with you, David, Sam, and then Frank. Year-over-year deflation. I think they, they can induce a lot more pain for a lot longer. And also probably the first the first kind of like pivot would, would come in the form of of some sort of kind of monetization facility for federal debt. And, and, you know, that's if the consumer's hurting and they, they want to do some, some form of economic aid. I don't really have a timeline for that. That's honestly not my, I'm not, I'm not, you know, hoping for a Fed pivot tomorrow. And honestly, I, I kind of have an alternative and, and maybe a little bit more bearish, not thesis, but just put, you know, potential outcome or path that, that Bitcoin and the, you know, broader crypto market takes over the next couple of years. And I think it's analogous to the dot-com bubble where, you know, there's, and it's obviously an example that's been told time and time again, but just if you dig into the similarities, you have this emergent thing, you know, our, our thesis is, is it's Bitcoin. If you want to entertain the idea that the crypto and blockchain more broadly is, is the big innovation here and Bitcoin's just at, at the center of it, that's fine. We won't debate over semantics. Nevertheless, if you're a believer in it and one of those two paths, the thesis is it's not going away. And so you have this explosion in interest in internet.com you know, stocks, everybody knows, or at least the smartest people in the room know it's the future, but it gets, you know, way overhyped, way too speculative, way too much fraud. Let's highlight the fact that there's a lot of the fraud occurred here. I'd punish the exchange rate, right? Over d double pledging collateral, lying about balance sheets, total assets from three arrows capital, especially like that's, you know, I've, as some people have been like, Hey man, you better watch what you say on the internet. No, it's fraud. And, and three arrows has bigger bigger fish to fry their, their legal team. But I think just, you know, wiping away all of that when the fed did pivot, you know, and they, the, the housing market was the thing that got reinflated and tech stocks didn't V shape balance to infinity overnight. It was a 20 year parabolic ascent, no, undoubtedly, but Amazon, you know, the survivors of the tech boom rose from the ashes. They didn't bounce right away with the fed recovery. So. I think we all understand Bitcoin's here. Bitcoin's really important. It's going to serve a factor of a hundred times more importance in the future if if the broader Bitcoin thesis is correct, which which I believe it is. But it may not be like the COVID V-shaped recovery straight to all-time highs, straight to 100K, straight to 500K. There's a lot of risk managers out there. There's a lot of institutions, you know, that are watching this entire, for better or worse, lack of a better term, shit show and saying, I'm not touching the space with a 10 foot pole. Once there's some regulatory clarity, once there's, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, then, I, then I'll allocate some. And obviously that doesn't stop the pleb from buying any Bitcoin. That doesn't stop someone that's seeking monetary freedom to buy Bitcoin. But like the big capital allocators, the guys that are sitting on huge fixed income portfolios, et cetera, you know, they're not rushing in to go buy Bitcoin at 19K. Like they're going to dip their toes in the water eventually, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take some, you know, more regulatory clarity. Like I'm not a big fan of regulation, but that's just the reality of the big money. And so if a Fed pivot comes, but not if, when it comes, you know, say it's 2023, you know, whenever that is, Bitcoin will bounce and I think it'll bounce directly on the news, but it's, you know, that's more of just a kind of an intraday trade or, you know, narrative shift. I just don't think it potentially doesn't V V rocket to new highs as everybody understands the end game. It's still like, you know, there's still a lot of slow movers out there and there's still some, you know, some kind of re recovering that needs to occur from, from all this damage. Like if, if we're just being realistic. If you take a look at, forget about the macro, if you, if you take a look at the, the, the cycles, just a bigger by itself, the, the bearish momentum 
aligning to, to on a four-year basis having cycle should end by end of year, which may actually match something like a, a Fed pivot. On that, the recovery meaning, let's say you descend for over a year and then you take a chop for another year, which is kind of what happened in 2014 and 15. So definitely the cyclicality of Bitcoin allows for that as we bottom out as the macro uncertainty clarifies and resolves as the Fed pivots and on top of that, as the institutional sentiment recovers on the asset, coin and crypto as a whole, whatever. So on that basis, goes back to the scenario that Frank gave, you know, we can be below cost basis for, I mean, historically the max is about 10 months, could be longer for the first time in history, et cetera. Also, another thing to point out, Bitcoin CAGR on a four-year basis, taking again, just the, the simple halving cycle. It dropped for the first time in history this year after ranging for, for six years between, let's say, on the 100, 130% range or so, it dropped to about the 30% the thirty range for the first time this year. So I, I think you should perceive as Bitcoin increases in, in terms of float and market cap, a diminishing return valuation, which is completely normal and expected. You know, if you go back to the, the meme of a S curve that Bitcoin would adopt, I think that's normal conditions within, within the range, given the macro environment going below all time high extra cyclically for the first time in history is certainly uncharted territory, but still the range between 16 and 20 could be a major consolidation, which would take the, the mark, market participants, especially impatient ones into major punishment. Now, you know, we have major punishment to surprise. Now we can go into major punishment just time, which is typical for Bitcoin. Sam, same question to you. Yeah, those are all great answers. I would just add the way I'd see hypothetical world and don't know it where maybe kind of that turns around or things changes. I think now it's obviously very political where everything is focused on inflation for the American consumer. Collections are coming up. No one wants inflation. Fed has announced they can't do anything about food and energy, but they can try to demand, destruct through a lot of different avenues. One of those being, you know, pressure on kind of corporate margin, demand destruction through demand for labor as well. So I think probably the next thing to watch, and you mentioned a recession earlier, is kind of a technical outlook of like, are we in a recession or not? But whether we are or not, I think growth is slowing enough to be concerning. Um, the next one, kind of with that technical definition, is kind of the rate of change in unemployment, right? Which is a lagging indicator as well. So, you know, and previously the larger recessions, if we're kind of comparing this larger economic turning point, which I, I think we could be in that. It's always hard to tell when you look at something like 08 or 2000 or like 1975, essentially you have unemployment rate kind of reaching through those recessions at seven, eight, nine, ten 10%. So I think that's probably the, the next thing to give, whether you're looking for a pivot or a change in policy, enough cause for concern is that essentially you just drop enough wealth, uh, and you kind of try to want, you know, decrease the income and quality gap as much as you can. And then kind of the next effects of that are that it comes with a rising level of unemployment to follow. So, um, if you're, you know, looking for signs of when that might change, that's probably when employment starts to, to get high and out of hand and becomes a bigger problem than the inflation destruction, which is probably why the Fed citing is, is so focused on inflation now, um, hiking rates up so they can kind of turn those over later. Yeah, and I think the duration kind of bear market cycles that David points out, it, it's interesting that these, it just kind of aligns a little bit with the economic cycle that we're in today and pretty similar. So I know you guys put that in that unrealized profit ratio or profit loss ratio in your, in your latest report to kind of look at capitulation. And that's, that's also when I just look at like kind of the duration of capitulation of kind of the bear market of how long people have sat underwater in cycles before and and that can be a pretty sustained duration period so i think we've got some time through this as we talked about before before you know this turns over yeah i think i think on the fed sam nailed it i think it's important to remember that the the fed can pivot and they can pivot quickly it, you know they were planning to raise 50 points in the last meeting cpi came out hotter than expected and they raised 75. consider the source where equity investors focused on innovation so we we want the fed to change their tune quickly but we think that could happen 
Hard to say when, but I think you need to see inflation cool down. And then the second major thing they're looking at kind of as a confirmation of that being the, the labor market, seeing them basically, you know, the indicators at least saying they've controlled inflation and the labor market's cooling off. They can kind of declare victory and, and kind of cool their hawkish tone. What they've been doing now, we would say is a bit of job owning, kind of trying to really seem overly hawkish. So once those indicators turn, they can then back off. They basically get the reaction without having to raise as high as they may be indicating right now. You know, I guess we're all going to have to just sit back and and wait as these inflation numbers come in, as the Q2 GDP numbers get reported, to just see sort of how the Fed is going to have to respond to these numbers. They will know it maybe days before we'll know it, but time will tell. David Frank, I want to give you two the opportunity now to discuss the thread of your guys' most recent report. We've talked a little bit during this segment about the generational buying opportunity that historically has presented itself in this present Bitcoin environment. I want to start first with the very first tweet in that thread about the 200-week moving average. This has been a technical indicator that many traders use for Bitcoin. This, as you can see in the chart for everyone who is joining us on YouTube, we are at a level now that historically has marked a generational buying opportunity. I'm curious for the two of you, how you guys in ARC are treating, treating and viewing this moment in time. I can jump in. Yeah. So one thing to consider, as I mentioned, Bitcoin Skyger is descending, right? By almost a hundred percentage points. So. That makes the 200 week moving average as a mean reversion mechanism not as reliable. I, I would stick more to the, the on chain cost basis that we see on the chart here. What, what you're looking at is pretty much the gray bars is the confluence of price going below the 200 week moving average and the general cost basis of the market or realized price and the long term holder, short term holder cost basis of the market. So every pretty much on average, every market participant is that a loss at current time, but given the, the, the contagion effects in the crypto market and the macro conditions hold, this should be seen in our opinion as, as a wide range of accumulation as, as we, as the macro uncertainty and the crypto contagion unfolds and resolves. If we want to go then into the, the few other charts, I think Frank can cover the Celsius three arrows. And I can cover on-chain. I, well, I want to, before Frank, sorry to cut you off, actually pop over to tweet number six, the 12 multiple, and have you, David, kind of explain what this is and what this is now showing everyone. Sure. So poll multiple, a metric I invented a few years ago. It's simply the minor revenue in USD terms of on the day divided by the yearly average, the 365-day moving average of the same minor revenue USD. It basically measures the earnings compression of miners at any given time, which usually correlates on, on a, whenever miners in aggregate have a compression of 45%, their yearly average, it, it usually signals both. It, it could be a predictor of capitula uh, capitulation by, by this market cohort, and at the same time, a gauge in, in undervaluation for, for, for Bitcoin as a whole. So right now it activated the 45% signal and I think it touched 39% or so, but still another mean reversion, a mechanism that could still go lower as we've seen in the chart itself. This is just balancing out what we're seeing in hash ribbons and other metrics specifically related to miners, hash ribbons, minor outflows, and you know, just news events in the, in the ecosystem right now on how just to set every cycle, smaller or weaker miners are getting left out of the ecosystem and new, stronger miners are emerging and capturing arbitrage. Thank you for that. I mean, we, we've been seeing a lot of reports. Dylan and Stan put out a most recent report talking about the miner capitulation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And some miners are selling core scientific, you assholes, no longer a shareholder of that stock, but. Yep. I'm just going to leave it at that to say the least. Frank, I do want to give you the opportunity to touch on some of the reporting on the counterparty risk. Specifically, I want to go to tweet number four, where you actually listed some of the three arrow capital counterparties and 
lo and behold, at the top left, we see Voyager. At the top right, we see BlockFi. Talk to us a little bit about how this web is intertwined and what maybe your expectations are in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of going back to where we started the conversation, but, you know, Suzu and Kyle Davies had a great reputation in the crypto space. They were seen as thought leaders and they had great performance for a long time, but it looks like, you know, they used that reputation to get sweetheart deals and these uncollateralized lending from pretty much everybody in the industry, or at least, you know, we're taking loans from everybody in the industry and that's kind of totally blown up on them. We, we're learning more every day who is affected. You know, their their margin trading accounts on FTX, Deribit, Bitmax, for example. Genesis and Block, Genesis and Block Five in public about liquidating their collateralized positions. And we know Voyager was a major uncollateralized position. I'm sure there's more that we're going to find out as they go through. The, and they, you can see just from their portfolio investments. I mean, they they were kind of all over the map from liquid tokens, layer ones, equity of of crypto, crypto native companies. It really is a massive event. And I think something we've talked about as well as that gives us some confidence is as we kind of learn new findings from this contagion event, each seems to be relatively smaller in magnitude as in the, the you know, the next shoot of drop seems to be quieter than last, which, which gives us a sense that they're kind of winding down in terms of total contagion that could be yet to see. Uh, but we're kind of monitoring that closely. I think it's also kind of a, would love to just, you know, discuss this report in general that we're putting out now. This is the second monthly report. We, this is something that we've been working towards for, for over a year as we've kind of built up more and more research knowledge and a team around on-chain analytics uh, and something that really is unique and possible in crypto that's not possible in the traditional equity markets, given the transparency of the base layer to be able to put out a report like this that that goes down and, and creates a market commentary that incorporates both on-chain and macro that is relatable to your crypto investor savvy or or not and traditional investors as well hopefully is what we're targeting really taking crypto market commentary to the next level something that you know what i'm used to reading quarterly reports for the companies i cover in the equity space and this is just you know just a totally different ball game so we're super happy to be putting these out now and um love uh, to look forward to each, uh, more community uh, response from it Looking forward to those and many more reports. David, Frank, I want to give you the opportunity to make any final or closing remarks. From my end, I mean, that that pretty much sums up what I would have said. But just, just in general, I think one thing that's, you know, also comforting about the crypto space is that, well, you see players operating around the crypto networks, be it Celsius or Three Arrows, kind of, you know, getting over their skis and, and blowing up. They've done nothing to harm the fundamentals of the the underlying network. And, and you know, Bitcoin itself is a neutral platform and a neutral technology that everybody can use. Some can misuse it, but it, it survives. So in the long run, I think the future is bright for the space, despite what we're all seeing today. Yeah, so I, I, just, I was just talking about two major lessons for the cycle. One, one was the major divergence in terms of transparency between Bitcoin and the whole crypto ecosystem and centralized platforms. I, I think you saw that very much between, you know, the leverage we could find from Celsius and Three Arrows on, a, on the DeFi protocols versus their counterparties and, you know, and centralized lending entities. I think that's the first lesson on how Yes, it may not make things unwind faster, which if you look at it on a long-term basis could be healthier, but it holds up one of the major value propositions of on-chain analysis and to, to its credit, DeFi as a whole. I, I think that's a sign of things to come into how proof of reserves and just overall transparency of how markets are dealt with will shift into more transparent mechanisms, meaning decentralized as opposed to centralized. Conversely, the other lesson, which was, I guess, a bit sadder, was the, the unrelenting correlation between equities and, and Bitcoin, I think is one of the major tests for the asset as a whole, meaning surviving a deeply hawkish Fed, possibly it's mo most uncertain macro environment and context as a whole. I think surviving that will be major for the asset. Uh, especially as investors, institutional or not, start allocating according to actual fundamental value. And this includes equities versus Bitcoin, Bitcoin versus uh, Ethereum or any, any other cryptocurrency, et cetera.
but still very high conviction in the space as we see how things resolve. I, I want to be respectful of both of your time. I know you have another meeting coming up and say thank you both for coming on and joining us, sharing your work and perspective and doing the work that you guys do. Thank you both, David and Frank, for joining us. Dylan, Sam, I, I let you do what you need to do best and tell everyone about BM Pro, the work that you guys are doing. And just as a reminder, their monthly report has been made public for everyone. They went deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole of contagion. So be sure if you have not yet already checked out the monthly report, which was made public last Friday, we have pinned it to the top of the spaces. So be be sure to uh, pop on over and give that a read. But Dylan, Sam, I let you guys now talk about what you do best. Yeah, we just kind of, a lot of the stuff we talked about today, we cover in our daily newsletter called Bitcoin Magazine Pro. We cover just really anything that's relating to the Bitcoin market. So macro, the transparency of on-chain data, Bitcoin derivatives, the recent kind of contagion stuff. We like to, we like to cover it all. I guess I'll just end and then I guess I'll hand it off to Sam, but personally we'll end this with saying that, you know, hopefully at the other side of all of this, like this Bitcoin bear market, some lessons are learned in terms of the kind of promises and the illusion of, of Bitcoin native yield and, and actually using what, what's a really fantastic innovation in, you know, a transparent set of, of property rights, immutable property rights in the Bitcoin net, the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin blockchain, and using it to actually do what it does best. And that's kind of insulate yourself from, from counterparty risk at a retail level, like with, with using these yield platforms, but also an institutional level. The, the thing that, that caught me off guard at first was in, in terms of like just how severe and, and quick this bear market was just admittedly was the amount of unsecured credit and debt and, and off balance sheet IOUs in this space. Um, I understood there was a large amount of collateralized debt with, with, you know, high LTV ratios. So, so relatively safe, but that was always a risk. But the off balance sheet stuff was something that I didn't expect when you have crypto markets that trade 24, seven, 365, where you can over collateralize to compensate for volatility. So I think, you know, hopefully on the other end of this, you know, lessons are learned a little bit <laughs> cynical on, on that. And I, I kind of believe that we'll replay a lot of the stuff next cycle at a bigger magnitude, but maybe not, not as a big in relative terms, but that's just, I guess my, my, my two cents and, and sign off. Yeah. I'll just add to Dylan's point. If you're interested in this content, whether by like audio or writing sign for a free subscription at bitcoinmagazinepro.com today, we're releasing something on interest rates, commodities, macro environment, charts data, that's all going along with that. But yeah, to Dylan's point, you know, we, we have a, a very long-term Bitcoin thesis in view that, that, ha that hasn't really changed and is really based on a lot of the fundamentals that we talked about before. That's, that's kind of separate from where macro has gone over the last two years. So check it out. Thanks for having us. Appreciate the time, Q. Thank you both for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. If you are not subscribed to Bitcoin Magazine Pro, do it.